This is Tundival Gatkins and this is episode 19 of our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast series from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool, where we share our light bulb moments, teaching props and pedagogies as we cohabit our Treasure Island, the space for contact time with students. So I have the pleasure of introducing four guests today, Gemma Ahern, Tressa Kearney, Johnny Lee and Marcus Pedersen. So um, it's lovely to have you all here. And can I ask you briefly to introduce yourself, your original discipline and the current role and how did you arrive here? Gemma, can I start with you, please? Yeah, thank you so much. So my original discipline is sociology. I am now a lecturer in criminology here at the University of Liverpool in the School of Law and Social Justice. And my Twitter handle is Princess Jack. Great, thank you, Gemma. What about you, Tressa? Hey, uh, so I'm Trasa Kearney and I work in the marketing department in the management school here at University of Liverpool. Um, my current role, I'm senior lecturer, but I'm the director of studies for the MSc in marketing here as well. So we've got an MSc in marketing that's been running for many years, really successfully. Um, so yeah, looking forward to more students coming and joining us next year. So hopefully they're listening. Um, but yeah, Twitter handle is just Trasa Kearney. Yeah, thanks, Tressa. What about you, Johnny? Um, I used to be an educator from K-12 background uh, from Hong Kong, teaching English as a second language. And then I joined the Teacher Training Academy and then I moved to UK in 2020. So um, I landed Manchester first and worked with University of Huddersfield as an instructional designer. And uh, 2021, I moved down to London with my current institution, Ravensbourne University London being a learning technologist. So um, my main duty is managing projects like learning design, high flex teaching space, VLE, and helping academics with technology enhanced learning tools and professional developments. Great, thank you, Johnny. What about you, Marcus? Hi, my name is Marcus Pedersen, and I used to be a primary school teacher in Australia. And I moved to London to continue my uh, studies within that field, but left primary school education and moved into higher education. Uh, I was a learning technologist for the NHS last year and a half, developing public health information for a hospital in London. And I've recently migrated to a full-time role within higher education as a learning technologist within UCL. And like Johnny, I am in the university to develop the digital pedagogies and pedagogies of the academics teaching on the courses. Uh, my Twitter handle is MarcusKMP. Yeah, thank you all. So I'm going to um, slowly roll, let us rover or think about our treasure island. So this is where we get come together with our students uh, for special contact time. And if you could share your light bulb moment. So this is the moment where you um, felt your students, whoever they may be, were getting it. And, and how did this come about? Sure. Um, so I was teaching or helping develop a module with, uh, within the UCL a year ago on uh, ophthalmic techniques, uh, so eye, eye surgery specifically. And due to the ongoing global pandemic, students could no longer come to the theatre or to the surgery to watch these surgeries happening. So what we needed to do was bring the surgery to the students. So I was fortunate enough <clears throat> to be connected to an eye hospital in London where we were uh, at shared an education relationship. And I was able to get into the theatres and record surgery for students to view. Uh, however, I didn't want to just 
give a passive activity of watching surgery. I wanted to work with the consultant who was teaching on one of the modules to make it an active uh, and interactive resource. So what we, went, we said about doing was editing and then creating an interactive video of the surgery. So um, as you're watching the video, as you're progressing through it, uh, you would have questions pop up that would then uh, describe certain things that are happening so that the students were achieving a learning objective set within the MSC. So, for example, there's a point in the video where a, a true or false question pops up on the no touch technique, something that they need to understand to you know, develop and, and move through the degree. And then once they answer that true or false question, they can then move on with feedback given if they got it right or wrong. Um, and so this, this building up to the light bulb moment is we got, we collected feedback on this interactive video and the response was overwhelmingly positive. We had 95% of students strongly agree that this resource was better than a video resource and that they understood the topic better now than they would have if they had used just a video. So uh, my light bulb moment was when a student I was working with, which who was the consultant ophthalmologist, uh, realized that she wanted to take this to the next step. And she said, why can't we give the power to the students? And this was really fantastic for me to hear her realizing that she could, uh, she wanted to delve deeper into the technology and make it a more interactive experience by empowering the students with a new technical skill, something that I had alluded to being able to do, but she was taking the first step forward in making it a reality. So we then um, set up a, a learning management uh, module, a space within Moodle, where the students were teachers and we gave them access as a teacher would and then they learned how to use uh, the interactive video tool called H5P and then they all created this resource and then presented it instead of a PowerPoint presentation, they presented it to the students uh, as an assessment. And I think uh, and this, this has led to lots of peer-to-peer -peer feedback and a lot more learning than if we'd done it in a traditional manner. So I was really, really happy to see the, the teacher not afraid to embrace technology. And I'm not sure how many people out there have, have worked with consultants who are also teaching uh, in a master's course, but these people are the, the, the busiest people, you know, that I've ever worked with. They're doing surgery, they're doing clinic and they're teaching. So it was just, it was a really heartwarming moment to realize that people actually did care about education and, and interested in the interplay between technology. So that was my light bulb moment and I've used that case study at several conferences now to kind of promote the idea of, of interactive video. That's brilliant. And can, can I just ask, is the students in this case, did they want to acquire the technological skills or was it that they wanted to convert into video what they were learning? So was it around them creating a learning resource that they could share so peer learning opportunities or yes so the, the people who were taking part were msc students so they were hoping to become clinical practitioners they were all doctors at this point but were not ophthalmologists or trainees uh, so the idea of teaching them the new technique was is a, it was a, it was a way to develop upon the assessment that they were offered because quite often in medical education assessment is rather antiquated and uh, or, um, so we're trying to create a new way of doing this and then I think being able to create an interactive video as an education as a student studying also allows you to develop a new skill that you could take forward within your uh, medical career or profession because these kind of videos would be insanely beneficial to patients if they had a conversation with the, the doctor recorded themselves talking about a chronic illness and up popped interactive questions along the way, then it's, the patients would be interacting with that, developing their understanding and empowering themselves single-handedly. So I think these kind of technical t tools from my time in the NHS would be greatly beneficial for, for all parties involved. Great. And then in terms of, you mentioned, has, has this then carried over to the assessment? Were there anything around, was this something that the students did extra or has it 
influence assessment practice of this particular module. So carrying forward, the assessment has uh, continued uh, for the second year running to be the interactive videos where they present um, online or, or, or in a face-to-face -face environment, depending on what the restrictions are at the time. Um, and if people are interested in looking at the feedback we've collected over the last two years, I'd be more than happy to share the uh, form that would highlight the many other aspects I'm not talking about within this um, within this conversation about the benefits of interactive video and what we collected. Great, thank you, Marcus. Anyone else wants to share their library moment? Uh, I, I would like to uh, share my library moment. Actually, it's quite similar to Marcus because uh, I would like to share um, uh, an experience I developed uh, healthcare module with um, academics. So um, my library moment was working with educators and academics uh, to um, implement some innovative pedagogy. And the one experience I, I'm going to talk about is authentic assessments when, when uh, you two are like happy or excited discussing the of uh, the assessments. So um, in University of Huddersfield, uh, I worked with academic to design authentic assessment for nursing students. Because uh, for example, students in the past, um, they, they simply wrote essay to demonstrate their learning outcome. And uh, we decided to take a step further. So uh, we decided to ask students to make a poster to raise the patient's awareness about uh, mental well-being. And um, they were asked um, to use uh, e-learning tools like Adobe Spark um, to uh, present their ideas. So um, I still remember the nursing professor was very excited about the proposed idea and asked me, ah, Johnny, it's such a good idea. Then um, what support you can give to me? And then we work together on the, like, the, the project brief, the learning design, and like, how to get students on board with the tool and it is really a light bulb moment for me because I see the value of introducing innovative pedagogy and suggest some e-learning tools which um, can help academics to implement the learning as well as the students. So um, I would say um, it's really my pleasure to help students uh, seize the learning opportunity and get everybody excited in the learning. Thank you, Johnny. That's a really, um, really good example as well. And I was wondering, you mentioned that the lecturer or, or the professor in this case was very open to exploring new kinds of assessment because that when you usually introduce some something like this, um, staff digital capability uh, can can be a factor in this. So have you got any observations of what enabled um, your colleagues to embrace such a practice when perhaps they already had those digital capabilities or perhaps they haven't, but from your take on it, what, what has made it uh, succeed or progress? Mm. Uh, first of all, I, I must say that I'm lucky. Like Marcus, I worked with very good colleagues uh, who are uh, willing to uh, make changes and react, not just react, but um, take the initiative to make changes so um this is something i i appreciate really much when um but you you have also made a good point that um, how to cultivate the digital capability um, uh, there are two things that i could think of uh, the first one is uh, being helpful and very open-minded um 
so usually when when they come to us, uh, we are there to help them and uh, celebrate the success with them. For example, when we introduce uh, some new tools, let's say Adobe tools, it may not be very easy, but um, we just uh, do it with them and help them through. And when they achieve even a very small achievement, we will celebrate with them and keep praising them. So um, that that will take them through. Um, another thing is, um, I would say is to break down the, the tool to manageable chunk and take a small step. Uh, for example, like uh, uh, for the whole project, we can have phase one, phase two, and phase three. So um, for phase one, let's say uh, we, we just use like recorded uh, PowerPoint. So they but that already incorporates the concepts of multimodal presentation. And then phase two, we go a step further uh, using Adobe um, Express, um, Creative Express Cloud. So uh, it's a simpler version rather than the full version. So um, these manageable chunks can, I guess, can give not just the educators, but the students a sense of achievement. So um, to, to take them along the learning curve. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Johnny. Any other light bulb moments? So, yeah, it, it's really interesting to listen to both Marcus and Lee there kind of talk about their different light bulb modes. They use a lot of technology. And one of the ones I did before was a live project, um, which is all about inquiry based learning. But actually, the other light bulb moment, which I think I'm going to focus more on because I think it, it goes with the theme of what we're talking about, is um, I run treasure hunts for our students. So, I think treasure hunt on the treasure island is a perfect way to go. Yeah, uh, indeed. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of the idea behind these treasure hunts is it's for our MSc and marketing students. And as I mentioned, you know, we might have 200 plus students on this program. Um, so what we did was kind of split them across two separate days. Um, we sent our students off on a treasure hunt. Um, the idea, you know, behind the treasure hunt, these students, the MSc in marketing, just to give you a bit of background, is for students that have never done marketing. So they have no idea about marketing theory or marketing concepts. And what we're trying to do is very, very quickly engage students in the services marketing theory, in marketing theory in general. So on the services marketing module, we give them kind of a couple of introduction basics. Um, but, you know, these students are from have studied previously, you know, history, geography, architecture, um, science subjects. Um, also our students, you know, we have a large international population, students coming from India, China, Africa, um, to many different countries across the world. So it's quite a cultural mix and, you know, they all have different ways of learning. Um, what I try and bring in is inquiry-based learning and to get students really active in their learning. And for some cultures, this is a new phenomenon, really, this active learning where they're having to critique and come up themselves with ideas based on the theory. Um, so to make it really engaging, so want to make it a good student experience for them, is I send them off on a little treasure hunt across campus so our students might go to so they go to the gym and they have to play a game of ping pong at the gym so they have to find other team members and they play a couple of games of ping pong and the team that win can come back with the ping pong ball they have to go to the library and they have to download the library app they have to figure out how to take a book out of the library 
print a journal article from the library. Then they'd have to go to the student support office and submit that journal article as an assignment. And um, so they learn how to submit an essay or where they're supposed to do it or submit an assignment. They also then have to do it in an online forum and download their code to demonstrate that they've submitted online. They then also have to go to the students uh, learning and support office. So they go there to kind of figure out, well, what time is the drop in session? What is the purpose of learning, learning and support? Because I think it's important that when students are when they reach difficulty, when you know they're really sick and they need the doctor, or they've had an exceptional circumstances, they don't know where to go, they're stressed, they're panicking. So by creating this treasure hunt, they already knew what to do before they got to the stage of you know getting upset and stuff like that. Um, and they found that really beneficial. So then they spend a couple of hours running around campus, they have to take selfies, pictures, everywhere they go as a team, as a group. And they come back and then they build a poster. But the poster has to incorporate the theory of services marketing, how people engage the physical environment and many concepts within services marketing. And they then post this up. And it's really interesting because initially students are, they don't understand that university academic, you know, it's an experience, it's a service experience it's an educational service experience and they start then understanding very very quickly and this was the key is i needed my students to quickly grasp those key concepts in services marketing that everything around them was a service and when they came back and they saw the posters and there was a lot of peer-to-peer -peer learning as well because they got to vote on who they thought the best poster was and um, what they learned along the way and offered those key moments. So I think the students then, you know, they really enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, they were like, ah, I get it. I get what a service is about. And I get that in order to create a good experience that they had to co-create and they had to engage. And that it was all about the student engagement because the vast majority of teams, they really enjoyed it. They engaged, but you know, we always, there was one or two students that necessarily didn't, but the vast majority of students, they really got engaged in it and they realized if they engaged in the process, they could get such a great experience out of, you know, doing their MSc in marketing. So that was kind of, I like, I like doing that one with the students because they just, they love it themselves. So it just makes it fun all around. Yeah, and I think what's beautiful about this, Tressa, is that how you have combined the marketing, the discipline, yeah. together with what you you could class as an induction, a treasure hunt, yeah. and uh, getting to, you know, there's so many things here, you know, you get them together working as a team, it's yeah. ideal for induction and getting them, but at the same time, they are really having that aha moment, which is a disciplinary moment of understanding what, what your, one of the, I guess what we call a threshold concept, you know, the concept of services industry in your case is. So that that works really well. And it's nice for you to see that as well so clearly after day one. Yeah, yeah. And, and I forgot to mention, the, the other thing is, because it's quite a cultural mix, um, what I often found was, you know, students might know one or two other people just about, they've met them just in the lecture the week before, but they kind of stayed within their own cultural mixes. Mm. 
So what I did was I got students in teams of two. I told them they could choose one other person to work with. And then I'd take the teams of two and create whether it was a gender mix or a cultural mix. So then it created more engagement as well. And they kind of, you know, it, it helped kind of, you know, reduce barriers sometimes in communication, which was great. Did you find the competitive elements engaged students as well? Because you, yeah. you said about, you know, having to obviously collect the treasure as they went along. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they love that because they're really keen on so the, the group that came back first. So they had different times because there were so many students, I couldn't send a yes. hundred students to run around the library all at the same time. <laughs> the library would have been overwhelmed. Um, so what I did was they had certain time frames, um, and that, that's why they took that picture during that time frame of themselves mm -hmm. at the library or at the gym. But the students all had to come back to me at the same time. But the group that came back first also got extra points. So you could see them just running down the corridor to get to me first in the groups. But, but also all five members or six members of the group had to be there to present the poster. So you could see them shouting at it. It was, it was hilarious. It was brilliant. I loved <laughs> so it. you also managed to do some well-being here to be active, you know, be yeah. physically active, yeah. sneak <laughs> into this. Brilliant. <laughs> they were warned to wear their runners along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Vesa. But Gemma, what about your light bulb moment? Well, I think mine um, fits in perfect with Tressa's. So that idea of co-creation, of inquiry-based learning and of peer-to-peer -peer learning fit in perfectly with what I'm going to talk about. So um, my light bulb moment has taken place on one of the five modules that I lead here. So it's called um, SOCI 347, Creative Consultant Dissertation by Portfolio. And it was inspired by my quite recent diagnosis as having dyslexia, which I didn't know until the University of Liverpool had me diagnosed um, sort of 18 months ago. And it's an alternative for people that don't want to go down that traditional dissertation route. So it's another capstone option. So we've got the interchange option where people can go and do work-based placements and write a, a report for, for that NGO. We've got the traditional dis option, you know, eight to 10,000 words of um, your own research. And we've got my option. And my option involves students working in clusters in action learning sets. So I was inspired quite heavily actually by colleagues from the management school, including Professor Lisa Anderson. And then of course, um, where I've met you Tunday recently on the leading in learning and teaching at Liverpool programme. And we've really solidified that idea of action learning sets for me. So I've been able to take that further. They work in clusters um, on projects that we give them. They're pre-established projects, but they take a different strand of it to make it work for them. And the light bulb moment, I think, was where students um, came to me and they said that some other students, you know, haven't been well or they haven't been able to engage. And instead of being angry or frustrated, as students often get in those kind of situations, they realise this is an EDI issue and they realise that we all learn in different ways. We all have different responsibilities, you know, caring and otherwise. And we are in a pandemic, so we need to be aware of chronic illness and, and different health based reasons for not engaging at the same pace or in the same way. 
So they started making reasonable adjustments for people without me directing them to. So they started to realize that if someone has anxiety, they might not be able to attend the face-to-face -face meeting or they might not even be able to have their camera on, on a Zoom call or a Teams call. And that does not mean that they don't want to engage. It means that they cannot engage in that way at that time. And that is perfectly understandable. So some of them would be meeting face-to-face -face in their research cluster. Some of them would be doing Zoom or Teams calls. And for other students, they were allowing them to engage in their group um, on WhatsApp chats. Um, so that the person didn't even feel the pressure of engaging in real time. But through using these different channels, the students all found that they were getting really diverse and valuable insights into the research project, that it was good because some people were taking time to reflect. They weren't just being reactive and saying something there and then because they felt they should. So they were getting different perspectives delivered in different ways. And of course, they also realized this is a key transferable employability skill because you need to be able to use all different platforms and you need to be able to project manage with all different people, they might be working in different time zones, they might be working, you know, around childcare, elder care, and it's important that we can do that. And my light bulb moment was, was kind of a repeated incidence of that taking place. And I realized how it fitted in with my own um, trauma-informed pedagogy and the micro-learning pedagogy that I developed where students have control over the direction and the pace of their own learning. I realized that students were actually developing that and implementing that themselves. And this filled me with great hope and great happiness because from September 2022 we're actually taking this action-based learning a step further and working cross-faculty with engineering and also the School of Medicine and we're developing different well projects where our different research clusters work cross-faculty so they're going to have to work around different people's clinical practice and, and different commitments so it just made me really happy that students took it upon themselves to recognize how important that is and that it's a key part of learning that we have safe spaces to learn and that they're supportive and it isn't always about what we're learning. I say that as someone that entered academia myself through a very non-traditional trajectory. It's often about how we learn and how safe and respected people make us feel. That is very important. That's a brilliant example, Gemma. And I love because as you describe it, that interdisciplinary working, it's giving students that real sense of this is how it's going to be in, in whenever, wherever I'm going to work after graduation. Mm -hmm. And for you to then really use that, it's great to hear. So I think you have mentioned that already, but what is it in addition to creating this space for students and the actual learning set? What extra do you think you have put in this so that they can have that aha moment or recognition? Can you talk a little bit about that? So I think um, the, the, the mode of assessment really speaks to this. So it's a portfolio and it's eight to 10,000 words. So it does mirror the traditional dissertation in terms of you know, validity and word length. But half of it is on the topic that they're looking at. So this year, some have been looking at stigma and sex work because my area of expertise is the sex industry. And I run a third year specialist module on that, crime, justice and the sex industry. 
and the other clusters are working with another colleague on homophobia and transphobia in sport. So different topics there that they look at the different strands of. So barriers to access in education or healthcare or the welfare state or whatever it might be. But that portfolio, only half of it is the academic material, the academic topic. The other half of it is the process of learning. So they have to show how they've collaborated with others, how they've shown leadership skills, how they've developed resilience, how they've managed to project manage, what new digital fluency skills have they learned? Because we've had quite a lot of expert embedded sessions teaching them digital storytelling skills, for instance, and you know different things like that that they can use. They also have a research day where they present their findings orally and for students who for a range of health-based reasons might not be able to do that in live time they can record a podcast or make a poster or whatever they want to do to share on the day and then they critically reflect on that so in that chapter a 2000 word chapter where they've got to document their collaboration with others i think upon the writing up of that they've realized how much work they have actually done over the whole academic year. Yeah. And they've, they've realized that giving your work to a peer to look at, to give you feedback on, that's something they've never done before because they've always been taught, you know, about competition. But I'm teaching them about collaboration and how beneficial that is. So I think having that space in the portfolio where they have to document that, and that is just as important as the academic work, has really made them recognise the importance of this. Yeah, that sounds great. So you you are really, in a sense, modelling that choice and freedom for them to play their best, depending on their preferences and, and learning side. Thank you. Thanks for sharing these. These are great. So we are going to row over our treasure island where we have these special concept time with students. So what, what I would like to ask you now, what teaching props or pedagogies would you like to bring with you so that we can have this really good experience with students? So mine would definitely be my micro-learning pedagogy and trauma-informed pedagogy. So making the students feel safe and giving them as much choice as possible in the direction um, and, and pace of their learning and realising we do live in a different world now and we've got to embrace that, that freedom and um, allowing students to have different choices. So just for listeners, the micro-learning and how, how that might look, can you just elaborate a little bit on, on that? Absolutely. So I've done um, a case study on the micro-learning with um, CIE, and I've also had quite a lot of um, publications and outputs over the last 18 months to two years on it. It's the idea that all the content on my modules, uh, including the assessment questions and, and all of the talk content, is released from week one. And kind of on most of my modules, the first two weeks will be theories and concepts. And then each week going forward is a case study example. The idea being that students can tailor the module, tailor the course to their preferences and their research interests. But it also means that the students come to each of the seminar classes or workshops at a completely different point. So I say imagine it as like a board game and all the pieces of the board game are moving around at different speeds, different directions. Maybe some of them are clashing, going the other way. But it means that we really get the most out of our contact time because people are using a diverse range of materials. 
it also motivates students if they haven't looked at something yet, read something yet. Then if, if other students are saying, oh, it's really good, you need to listen to that podcast, that new report, it, it's really powerful. Um, that peer-led learning and encouragement makes students want to do that. Great, thank you. Um, yes, Johnny, do you want to continue? What teaching proper pedagogy would you like to take? Yeah, uh, for me, um, because uh, as Gemma mentioned, uh, trauma-informed pedagogy is certainly uh, a really insightful one. And for me, uh, I would say it's the authenticity enabled by technology. Uh, because, um, uh, for example, uh, again, um, I, I will go back to the experience in the University of Huddersfield. Um, I guess Marcus might understand uh, because of COVID, like many nursing professionals, they cannot um, go into placement. And um, when I was working in Huddersfield, uh, the students couldn't do it as well. So um, what we do is uh, building a simulation suite and uh, we built some scenarios using H5P and Earport and incorporated the interviews and audio clips from voice actors and actresses role-playing the patients and the nurses. So uh, what students needed to do is to come up with a healthcare plan. I guess um, because uh, in, in the old days, it wasn't that possible. Like, uh, for example, if like imagine without the technology enhanced learning with COVID, then the world might stop. But now um, it's giving them students um, a safe environment to practice in uh, virtual environments. I, I guess this is very uh, valuable, especially when we are talking about offering better scaffolding for, um, for them before the future placements while keeping the authenticity. So um, if you are asking me to bring one pedagogy um, to the Treasure Island, uh, I guess this would be second to none choice. That is to say enhanced connection with the real world made possible by uh, technology enhanced learning. Great, thank you. Very much links to Marcus, what you were talking about, interactive video and um, in, in a sense, you know, that simulation role play and connecting it to the real world. Yeah, any other teaching props or pedagogies? Mine's very old school. Um, Great, there's nothing wrong with all the old school. If it works, bring it. <laughs> I'd, I'd bring pen and paper. And um, the, re the like one of the key reasons for this is students remember more when they write physically with pen and paper. You get 25% more brain activity, I think it is. Don't quote me on that one, but th that's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd need to write more with pen and paper to remember this. <laughs> but you are more likely to remember things if you write them down. I don't know if any of you guys do this, but I'll write lists. And if I physically write a list, there you go. I, I'm more likely to remember, but if I, yeah, if I just put it in. I think the listeners haven't seen, but a few of us gone and showed our little pen and papers. Yeah, <laughs> that's good to see. Everyone's using their pen and paper. But I think it's actually a skill that students are forgetting about. And I think it's, so important that you know I'm looking at it in front of a lecture and all my students are on their laptops and they're typing away but I'm also conscious that when they're typing on their laptops they're getting distracted by you know Facebook or Twitter or videos and sometimes accidentally a video you can hear a video going off on them and you know <laughs> you, you can't really say no technology allowed in the classroom um, 
but I, I really like I always say to my students use pen and paper um, but you know I, it's not something I can enforce unfortunately in some ways I wish I kind of could but I can't um, for many reasons and I do understand the pedagogical reasons for not using pen and paper but the strong pedagogical reasons for using pen and paper and then on top of that as well our students um, they still do paper-based exams I know in the last two years with COVID they online but in the management school we are going to be moving back and again there's many pedagogical reasons why we do those types of exams um you know it's important for students then to have those writing skills um so yeah i'd bring pen and paper <laughs> great thanks Tessa. marcus yeah uh mine's old school too as i'm in the incipient start or the beginning stages of my career as a learning technologist as that i've only been about two and a half years as one. I take Edward de Bono's lateral thinking book. Uh, if anybody's ever read it, they know it's quite a small book, but it's insanely complicated and, and, and interesting to divulge into each chapter. So I thought if I was sat on a treasure island bored out of my brains, I'd take his book and then come back to civilization as a um, incredibly well-articulated educationalist. And then if I learned it all off by heart, I could have a little fire at the end of the trip and burn his book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like this using um, things and reusing things. So great. So let's think about our collective island because you've all brought things. So we've got the light bulb moments with the students where we are on the island, treasure hunts, micro learning, trauma-informed pedagogies, uh, simulation and connecting with the real world, pen and, and some old school stuff, book, pen and paper, the bonus, lateral thinking. Is there anything else that you would want to put in the collective boat of Treasure Island pedagogies or props that we might still be using? I would really like to add to the uh, trauma-informed pedagogy. It's, it's really important, I guess, as a learner um, to have safe space um, to innovate and let them to have choice because um, mm -hmm. Nowadays, when, especially when no matter adults or youngsters, we are talking about um, like social emotional learning. So I believe like the affective domain of learning is definitely one area that that we would like the students to be benefit from and corresponding pedagogy would contribute hugely to that. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, Gemma, you talked about this, creating that safe space for learning that then benefits the students' personal preference. And I guess, Tressa, you were also talking about, you know, creating opportunities when students with different perspectives can come together and learn from each other, which I think, again, are really useful um, strategies. Just to kind of follow up with that, was kind of about Lee and Gemma, they've talked about the safe space. And I think that's really important is sometimes in our modules, we're trying to incorporate so much of the theories, we've got to focus on the intended learning outcomes and so forth, that actually creating those safe spaces are the social spaces. I think that's really, really important. And that's something as well that, you know, I, I, I took out the idea of sweets, but, you know, one of the things we try and do is do a social event at the very beginning of the master's courses for students, whether it's a pizza and a drink after they've done the treasure hunt or, um, we do 
uh, tea and coffee, coffee mornings before the lecture begins that, you know, students could pop along and I'd say to them, bring your cup of tea, bring your coffee and we can just sit down, have a chat about anything really. And it was to get students and I found it particularly tricky and um, because we had an international cohort crossing those boundaries of social interaction and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and um, like even our you know home EU students there's that cultural shift I think where you know as an Irish person I just talk to everybody and say hi um, but you know I think that people are a bit more anxious about just walking up to somebody and saying, hi, my name is, and I think it's important that we create, as Gemma said, those safe spaces. And Lise talked about those environments where students feel comfortable to just say hi. And that even if it feels a bit awkward, you've created an environment that's allowing for that awkwardness to kind of just disappear. Yeah, if I could just pick up there as well on what Tracy's just said, that, yeah, it's so important to have those spaces and that sense of belonging and identity for students on campus. You know, it's great we've got all these technologies now and we live in a hybrid world and that's brilliant. But going back to what you said about, you know, old school pen and paper, there's something you cannot replicate about face-to-face contact for for many tasks and particularly for building relationships and you know one of the things in curriculum 2021 is about seeing campus as a living lab and I think that's really important to bring different students together and to work on tasks together that inquiry-based learning that you mentioned action-based learning and yeah and just you know the the past kind of week or so how lovely and sunny it's been and on campus seeing students out in Abercrombie Square just sitting or sunbathing or meeting after class or before class I just think that's brilliant and and it really helps with um, getting students talking again and developing those soft skills that they are they have lost a lot of confidence with just going up approaching someone chatting to someone and meeting new friends great and it's something that you know the Greeks knew and brought into education thousands and thousands of years ago so thank you so you've been very busy you know you might have lots of students um from all walks of life uh how do you relax? So let's talk about your luxury items. So if, if you were to have your own little space on the island when you relax off duty, what would you like to bring to have some off time? So I think I will maybe cheat. Um, I will bring two things. One, first, I would bring my yoga mat because I love yoga, I love work-life balance, I like, I just love the practice of yoga, um, and I would also bring my four dogs, so I know that's cheating, but I couldn't live without them, <laughs> so I'd have my yoga mat and my four dogs, and I'd steal some of Trey's sweets or, or something else from someone else. <laughs> do your dogs uh, let you do yoga, Gemma? Well, they do think it's an unusual activity that they have to get involved in. So, I, you know, I don't think it's the traditional practice of yoga when they're there. But, you know, we, we all try and do yoga and, and yoga together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sounds great. Yeah, brilliant. I'm, I'm sure we let, I think I've allowed people to cheat before, so I can't really say no to that. It is important to have work-life balance. So dogs and yoga sound like two great candidates. 
Anyone else? Uh, for me, then, uh, when thinking about this question, I will think, ah, what allows me to live better in the island? Actually, I have uh, experience. Uh, I have experience in surviving an, in an island called Britain, huh? and then <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I believe, um, no matter in career or like um, life, uh, it is can-do spirit which takes me far. So I will bring this with me because uh, without it, I, I don't think I can live well, right? That's brilliant. The can-do spirit, definitely. <laughs> I think to further on from Johnny's point, I too have experience from two islands now, the United Kingdom and Australia. Australia has a pretty harsh sun. And when I was thinking of this, I was actually, I listened to some Desert Island Disc podcasts and I became fascinated by the idea of what I would bring if I was trapped on a desert island. Um, and I asked some people and they said oh, a desalination plant as sunscreen. And these are all people um, living in Australia. So I think um, if this treasure island was also rather deserted, I would bring with me a sunscreen. Great. Okay, definitely you can be granted and let's hope we have lots of sunshine as well. Brilliant. Presto, what's your luxury item? Oh, I'm not sure now. I'm going to try and build on what everybody else has kind of brought. I like the idea. Marcus mentioned earlier he was going to start a fire so I could use my marshmallows to do something nice whilst reading his... Well, no, you've burnt the book. I can't read the book anymore. <laughs> One of the things I was going to suggest was just bring some... Um, Music or a musical instrument, not that I play a musical instrument, um, but I like the idea of just being able to chill out and maybe learn something new. I think that's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Musical instruments. We've had ukulele before, um, people trying to learn, learn the ukulele in the previous episodes and all, all sorts of other music. So yeah, definitely a good idea. Great. Okay, so thank you very, very much for sharing your light bulb moments teaching props and pedagogies. So it's time to sail away from our treasure islands together. Uh, thank you for our listeners for listening. And if you have enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe to our podcast. If you want to become a guest, there is an expression of interest form on our Liverpool uh, CIE website. And uh, you can also access our previous episodes. And uh, goodbye for now. And finally, a big thank you to our four guests today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.